Weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thank you for joining me. We've gotten a few requests now to do an episode which talks about the origins behind the show. Aside from the obvious reasons why this subject is perfect for a podcast, such as endless content, highlighting local community, and telling unique stories, there is a personal connection here that our listeners may not know about. One filled with history, traveling, love, family, and even death and remembrance. I sat down with SoFlo Weird contributor Michelle McArdle to discuss how this all started. Our listeners are probably used to hearing a Charlie story by now. If this isn't their first episode that they're listening to, it usually comes at the end. And if they've ever been to our website, soflowweird.com, and they go to the About Us section, there is a picture of Charlie on there holding a mummified head, which, if you know Charlie, is a very Charlie picture. On the show, you also credit him with being the master of the weird. So could you tell me who Charlie is and how he got that title? Charlie Carlson is a 10th generation native Floridian, a folk historian, an author. He's a retired army sergeant, 27 years in the army. He ran away with the circus and um, he's just, he's an all round cool, great, funny guy. You wouldn't know it sometimes when you talk to him, whether he's really kidding you or not. But his roots are deep in history because of his, you know, ties to the Sanford area. So he started out by writing history books that were for sale in the historical museums. And, you know, they sold here and there, but not in droves. So he started out with a book, Strange Florida, and that sold really well. And then he went into weird. He realizes he's really telling the same history, but he wrapped it up and tied it in a bow that said weird and that was more marketable. As far as him getting the name Master of the Weird, I do believe it was a fan or somebody that was one of at one of his book signings said, oh, you're like the Master of the Weird. And he's like, oh, that's cool. I'm gonna use that. Yeah. So it really came from a fan. But Charlie was just an all-around great, great character, fun guy, and a wonderful, deep down, first and foremost, a great storyteller. Tell us how you first discovered Charlie and what your first impression of him was. Actually, I was in a Barnes and Noble. There was a section where there were either Florida authors or books about Florida. And I'm always looking for story ideas as my background is in television. So I'm always looking for a project. And I look down and I see this book that says Weird Florida. And I'm like, holy cow, man, wouldn't that be awesome? What if I turn that into a show? I could get paid to travel the state of Florida. That would be great. So I pick up the book, I start flipping through it. And it was like this guidebook with all these places you could go visit that were weird, that were broken up in certain areas like haunted places or, you know, wacky people. And when I turn the book over, like when you look at the back flap and you see his picture or who Charlie Carlson is, I'm like, oh, this is great. So I bought the book, went home, Googled him, and I see this picture come up with this guy dressed all in black with a black hat on, black sunglasses, you know, like this mustache. And I'm like, oh, man, he's a character. He looks so good. 
you know, if he can walk, talk, chew gum and be on camera, this is going to be awesome. So I reached out to him and I asked him, had anybody ever decided to take his book and turn it into a television show? And he said, a lot of people have asked me that, but nobody's ever followed through. And my answer to that was, well, if it's one thing I do is I follow through. So I went up to Central Florida to meet him and just, we hit it off instantly. All right, tell me a little bit about the production of Weird Florida. I know most of the production was done traveling, which if you've ever traveled with anyone before, you know is the fastest way (laughs) to get to know someone. What was your relationship with Charlie? How was he on camera? And uh, were there any highs or lows that you would like to mention? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes. (laughs) We traveled... 1500 miles zigzagging through the state of Florida. So the first thing we did is we sat down with a map and we said, conceivably, how would we do this? You know, we picked out places where we could drive to. You have to, you have to kind of map things out, but leave yourself open for stories or things that you might find along the way. So we had a plan, but the plan was easily adjustable either way. But where would we land at night where we could sleep and get up the next day and go, go, go. So it was very, very, uh, rigorous. We had realized thinking, moving forward and thinking about it, we thought, okay, we want to cover every region of Florida. Can we conceivably go down to the Keys and then wind up in the Panhandle? Because we figured if nothing else, the state of Florida would pick up this show and we could be distributed at least through the state of Florida if we covered the South area, the Central area, the, the Northern area, West Coast and Panhandle. We figured we got every, every station covered. That was kind of cool. That's that's how we mapped it out. Now, because I had to pitch the idea to the television station WLRN, we decided to do a test with him. So I took him down to Coral Castle, which I know if you're an avid listener, you've heard the story about Coral Castle, down in Homestead. And I incorporated driving scenes. I incorporated him doing a stand-up him doing an interview, and him goofing around because I wanted to see all these elements and how he would do it. Because when I asked him, did he have experience on camera, what he gave me was sort of this talking head, talking about history on camera that was so dry, and I knew he was capable of more because in person, he had this wonderful personality. The station loved it, um, so we got the green light to go ahead and do it. It was a really slim crew. WLRN is a public broadcasting affiliate, so, you know, there's no big budget. So we were really only three people. So it was Charlie, myself, Felipe Maru, who was our director of photography, and Tanya, who helped us. So it's really a crew of four, but we were in two vehicles. We had to be in two vehicles. Charlie was in one vehicle, so we, but we needed another vehicle so we could get driving shots. So we would do these side-by-side driving shots. And at some points it got dangerous because I would be driving on the other side of the street, sort of in oncoming traffic as Felipe sitting out the passenger window, trying to film, you know, Charlie in the car on the other side. He'd say, slow down, pick it up, slow down, because you have to get the speed just right. And it was just, I'm like, I got to get over here. It's come the car. I was like freaking out. So it was really, really cool. You know, a lot of adrenaline. I feel like I was hanging on to Felipe because I was scared. Totally dangerous. People don't ever do this at home. But I'm holding on to his pants going, hang on. I'm getting over. 
we got pulled over by the cops once and I had to have Charlie talk the guy out of a ticket because he's like, were you hanging out the window? You can't be hanging out the window. So we, it, it was, yes, we, we got along. It was fun. Um, it was intense because we'd go all day or we would drive and then Felipe would be in the hotel room putting clips together, being bloodshot in the eyeballs till midnight. And then we'd get up the next morning, pack the car up, go to the next location to stay on track. And I think the entire first time we did Weird Florida, because we did two of these shows, I think we subsisted on like peanut butter and jelly and, you know, every day and fruit yogurt that was it and but we always had dinner we always had like a hot dinner but I feel like we're just like eating out of the back of the car half the time and some of the most remote places but Charlie would take you down some really you know it's true when I say off the beaten path it was off the beaten path this wasn't just 95 up and down we went down some funky roads no street lights like where are we is this spot even on the map because I feel like he's a weird magnet. He can sniff out a place. Weird attracts itself to him. And it, it was truly an adventure. Yeah, I think a lot of times when people see these like travel shows and they're like, oh, wow, I, I would love to just travel around and stay in these places and get to see this stuff. And I don't think they realize that it's like, get out, <laughs> get everything set up, right? pack up, go to the next place, get permission, find parking, you know, find food, find lodging, unpack again, and, like, and continue on and on and repeat. You yeah, know? there was there was one point where I got angry <laughs> with Charlie. Charlie's the sweetest person, but I get hangry like everybody else. And I don't know where we were, but one of these little podunk towns that rolled up their sidewalks, I swear at 6 p.m., and he's like, I'll be happy at a 7-Eleven getting a can of Beanie Weenies. And I'm like, I am not going to eat Beanie Weenies. It's bad enough we're subsisting on peanut butter and jelly. So we literally walked over a bridge to a Mexican place that was just closing up. And I think I was begging for a taco, a burrito, anything, leftover scraps. I would take it. Luckily, they had pity on our souls and we were able to eat um in the restaurant and come back but that was probably the one time I like I had just had it and there was no way like I have I certainly have a threshold and beanie weenies <laughs> beanie weenies was a threshold for that night I'm like I have got to eat yeah if you if you know Charlie you know he'd be the kind of guy to be like mmm canned rattlesnake mate <laughs> right <laughs> sounds great or a possum hot dog yeah oh god Ooh. <laughs> Wasn't that the main food source somewhere? Possum yeah, was the yeah. main food source in, in what town? Wasso. Wasso. Wasso, oh, where uh. they actually have a possum festival, which I really wanted to cover this year on this podcast, which I will do, but it is every August where they crown a king and queen possum in the town of Wasso, and I was ready to go, but, you know, with COVID, forget it. So, but I'll promise to bring... The story of Wasseau to the SoFlo podcast. So they, they stopped eating possum and now they honor possum. That's, oh yeah, yes, okay, exactly. Okay, good. So there were many life changes that happened between the filming of the first and second Weird Florida show, including Charlie becoming a member of our family. And for listeners who are wondering why I said our, plot twist, I'm Mia's daughter, to having a new co-host, which, by the way, Weird Florida's co-host is a dog. Can you tell me about the differences between the first and second show? 
Do you feel that things were more or less smooth than the first show? Did the dynamic between you and Charlie change? And because we were there, what was it like having your family come along with you on a traveling shoot like this? <laughs> oh, let's see. Does the family listen to the podcast? <laughs> well, obviously I do. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just... Oh, no, I'm, I'm really worried about my mom. But um, listen, you love family and they drive you nuts. I don't care whether you're traveling on the road 1,500 miles or not. They, they can just innately drive you nuts. The co-host is a rescued boxer the first time, which was Miss Scarlet. Unfortunately, Miss Scarlet passed away be between the filming of Weird Florida, Roads Less Traveled, to the second show, Weird Florida, on the road again. But he did rescue another boxer. Uh, which was Lady Isabel. Two totally oh my God, different totally, personalities. Totally. Scarlet, mellow, relaxed. Sweetie pie. She was older. She was nine years older. Unfortunately, she got cancer. And believe it or not, Miss Scarlet got so many condolences and so many condolence letters and cards. She really should have had her own fan page, to be honest with you. But then Lady Isabel was... Um, a rocket. A rocket because she was only like a year and a half. And she was found wandering the highway. She was skinny. Mm. She had cuts on her and everything. So they, the shelter that found her took her in. They took care of her. And when she was ready to travel is actually when we traveled. We, we waited for Lady Isabel. She was just hyper, hyper, hyper dog. Just wanted to run in a different direction. To try to get a reaction shot from her was like crazy. I also remember that between the two shows, we were like, we should get another boxer aside from Charlie just wanting another dog. And we actually, I do remember, had a lot of trouble finding another boxer. Do you remember this? And he was like, he's like, she'll come to me. Eventually she'll come. Somebody, somebody somewhere will find a boxer for me. And I feel like uh, Isabel kind of fell in his lap. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, he, he was like, it's going to happen. I, I can't remember... I can't remember the story, but I feel like the page popped up on the computer or something. It just happened. Charlie was very spiritual. He felt things happened as they happened and for a reason. So let me explain the dynamics. Obviously, in the first show, being in Central Florida, he came down because we had a few things to do here at the studio, which is in Miami. So he traveled down. He traveled down with the dog. And at the time, you were in Girl Scouts, and I had a Girl Scout meeting, and I wanted him to talk to the girls so but they could only do it the first half hour so he comes to the house he talks to you guys and I said I need for something for Charlie to do afterwards and mom said oh I'll take care of him so mom came over to take Charlie out she had never met him she met him the first time during your Girl Scout meeting and then I don't know what happened because the next morning I had to pick him up to take him to the station so we could do a few things, you know, so that we could record. And I looked at him and I'm like, hmm, you look a little tired. Were you two kids out late last night? <laughs> and he just looks at me, he goes, well, your mother was a lot of fun. And he was kind of embarrassed to tell me, but they really had a connection and they really, really liked each other. He was embarrassed and wanted to keep it a secret, but you know, mom and I are tied at the hip and we talk all the time and we're very, very close. And she told me and it didn't bother me at all. I just definitely wanted that separation between professionalism 
when I'm working with him and personal, but he just fit right into the family. He, he really, really did. I don't want to miss something here. When I first met Charlie before that first show, I met his first wife, Dottie. They'd been married, I, I was, I don't know, like almost 40 years or something. She was wonderful, an environmentalist, sweet woman. They'd been together, I think, since high school or something. She was best friends with his sister, right, Doris. Doris. Right. And so she was part of the family for a long time. Well, obviously, because they were married, but she had passed away. She'd gotten sick, and it was a very short illness, and she had passed away. And I can't imagine what it's like to be married to somebody for like 40 years, and then they pass away. So I almost didn't want to call him, because in between our first meeting and when we were ready to start production, I felt like, oh my gosh, he needs a space. I mean, he's not going to want to travel on the road. This is awful. This is just an awful time. But for him, he was like, yes, I want to go. I think he needed something. He wanted something. He wanted to refocus. He had explained like it was like losing his left arm or something. But I think the show really helped him come out of his funk because it was months before I spoke with him because I was just afraid to even approach him after she had passed away. It was months. I think she passed away in like October and then we weren't filming until the following April. Because if you know Florida and you're in Florida, it's hot. You either get your filming done in the winter or the spring. Otherwise, it's too hot. So we wanted to be done filming before the summer, the heat of the summer hit. So, um, but he, Dottie was, Dottie was wonderful. But yeah, so yeah, On the Road was rough by that point because I think, I love you, Mom, but she drove us nuts. It was totally intense. We had some really laugh out loud moments. We really did. We had our, you know, screaming matches not with Charlie. He's he's just not a screamer. But um, we look back on it with complete fondness. So with all of that, meeting Charlie, doing the book, doing the show, everything, what made you want to make this podcast or what kind of made you pull the trigger on making this podcast? Well, the shows were very successful. They were distributed to PBS stations across the United States. I think we would have continued with the television shows because our general manager really loved Charlie. He loved the shows. And so we had that kind of support. But Charlie was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And for those that may not know what that is, that is cancer of the blood cell. So there's no real cure for that. So as he was going through treatment and his energy was waning, my mother had decided, well, you know, looking on Amazon, she sees this little podcast set up maybe Charlie could still tell his stories and keep his name out there by doing a podcast. Because one thing Charlie did, no matter what, he got up and he wrote on the computer every day. It could have been random thoughts. It could have been a funny story. It could, could have been anything. But he was always writing. It was just, he was a true writer. Like I said, a true writer and a true storyteller. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but he and my mother did get married. <laughs> so that's the part where he became part of the family. Unfortunately, I never got to that, and Charlie passed away. As for me, I was in, I've been in television for 30 plus years, and just like anybody with any job, after so many years, your responsibilities begin to change, and I wasn't doing the content that I wanted anymore. I was doing promotion work and writing and stuff, but not storytelling content. So I decided to create the podcast 
And as you can tell, it's like an offshoot of the Weird Florida show inspired by Charlie Carlson, Master of the Weird, because I wanted to keep his name out there. It's in celebration of Charlie. And yet I can still keep up my storytelling without having to do a whole television documentary, which is there's so many elements to television that's insane compared to, you know, getting on the microphone and interviewing people. I love this mode of storytelling. It's so popular and I've had a lot of fun with it. I really do miss him like terribly, but I feel like he's really with me, especially when we drive somewhere to go to do an interview. I almost feel like he's still in the car with me. You know, I, I think of him often on long drives. And so this, this podcast is to really honor Charlie. You were saying that there was a, a while where you would walk in your office and his book would be just on your desk. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. weird. Yeah. The, twice, twice that happened um, where I just, I knew he was trying to tell me something. <laughs> uh, in my office, I have, I have a picture book of Charlie. I have Charlie's Weird Florida book. By the way, the Weird Florida book came out of the Weird U.S. book. There's two guys that had a weird U.S. book. It's a series. Right. It's a series. They decide, they wrote a weird U.S. book and they decided to go state by state because the weird U.S. was so popular. The first state in that series is Weird Florida. They reached out to Charlie because they realized Charlie had this book called Strange Florida. So he was a natural. And that book has sold over a million copies. But anyway, I have that book in my office and a couple of times I would walk in the office after the weekend and that book off of a high shelf was down on my desk. And it's not like it fell. It didn't seem like it fell. So the book was open or flumped over or backwards or on the floor. It was perfectly laid right at my desk. And I think that was another thing to propel me. Okay, I've been thinking about this podcast. Maybe I get off my duff and like get it going. And I think you said you were unpacking your office and you found like in a book... Um, like how to start a podcast. There is a book that I came across. I didn't mention this before, but we were trying to film a movie based on Charlie's only novel that he wrote, which is called Ashley's Shadow. And we used a book as a prop. They took a cover and printed out a cover and put it over the cover of a book. So it's like a fake book. When I peeled back the fake cover, underneath that was an Adobe Audition editing book. And the reason why I went, oh my God, I cannot believe I found this book. I had been trying to edit in the Adobe suite. Again, my background is in television. I was used to using Adobe Premiere and knew I had to go over to the platform of Adobe Audition, which is audio editing and found out I was totally lost with it. I didn't know what I was doing. And I randomly find this book about editing in Adobe Audition, the very program that I'm using and I'm trying to understand. And it was just used as a prop and wound up in my possession and I peel back the cover and it's a perfect book to help me. Weird. It's crazy. It, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, there exactly. you go. It's totally weird. Yeah. So thank you, Charlie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now I know, I know he's really behind this podcast and I know he's, I know he's with me. I know he's with all of us. I mean, that's why I think these stories come to us. So Flow Weird contributor and my daughter, Michelle McArdle, giving you insight as to the backstory of how this podcast came to be.
So now you know. And if we've left you with any questions, by all means, just ask us. You can comment on our website at SoFloWeird.com. Next, we have something very special for you. An interview we did with Charlie Carlson about the making of the television show Weird Florida. This interview is courtesy of South Florida's public media station, WLRN. You know, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, Weird Florida on the road again because we've done these things before, but this one is a little bit different. I get to interact a lot more with, with the subjects in the show. And so I think that we're, we're, and also we're bringing in more history here too. It's not just uh, fun and games. We, we throw in some history, but it's enjoyable history. So you learn something about it. When we're out there filming Weird Florida, there's always something that we don't expect. And uh, we, we plan to go and shoot certain places and people, and in, in, in the process of doing that, we accidentally find something that we didn't even know was out there. And that was the case this time, is that we found this, uh, this oriental garden, uh, is the only way I could explain it, but uh, it was a, a Vietnamese fellow that came from Vietnam after the war, and he, he, he just continued to build these huge uh, monuments and lotus blossoms and koi ponds out of cement. And you, you can't even see this from the road. We found this by accident because we saw one little tip of one of the monuments. So we went down and talked to him and he allowed us to film as long as he didn't have to be on the camera. And uh, the only way that you'll see something like this is to uh, look at it through the lens of our camera. Viewers ask me sometimes, how do you find these crazy things and, and unusual people? Well, actually, I can turn that back around on the viewers because it's the viewers who send us this information. Now, I'll give you a good, good example. This time, we were turned on to a woman that will do just about anything when it comes to the bizarre. I mean, She's like she's walked out of a sideshow. She eats fire. She's, I guess she'll swallow a sword. She throws knives. And so we, we knew we had to put her in our show this time for the excitement. But she in turn then turns us on to the Kennedy bunker on Peanut Island. So see in a case like that, you've got a, a chain reaction that happens. So you get three or four things from one source. Lady Isabel is our new co-star, as you see. Uh, and for those that saw our first episode, you remember Miss Scarlet, which unfortunately we lost. And it's just like losing a family member or certainly a member of the Weird Florida crew. Miss Scarlet was a part of PBS like a camera. So we, we really uh, felt down and, and, and sad about losing her and we lost her right at the beginning of filming the new show. So we had to scramble around and find a new co-star and I had offers. I had offers from viewers for a donkey, for a goat, for uh, uh, several different breeds of dogs. But for this show, we've already established a standard, and we had to have 
a dog that would match up with Miss Scarlet. So Lady Isabel comes into the picture. She is a rescue, and I found her by accident. And you see, the other thing I did not want to do is I, I did not want to just get a dog to use in the show. When I get a dog and rescue a dog, that dog becomes my responsibility and becomes part of my family. She was um, uh, probably around 13 months old when we got her, and she was infested with fleas, she had heartworms, she had everything that you could possibly think of that was wrong with her. So it took uh, spending a lot of money on veterinarian care and getting her all straightened out, and she, by the time we got out there to, to shoot this episode, she was fit as a fiddle. So she's in good health now, not to worry about any of this stuff because she's tested perfect. You know, you don't film these weird Florida shows without uh, taking on a little risk. And I was talking uh, earlier about uh, how this show is different from the others. Well, this show is high risk. I've had knives thrown at me by the great Sandini. I've had to go down 40 feet in the ocean, and I'm not a scuba diver. I had to learn to scuba dive in a matter of 30 seconds. <laughs> I, I've seen the cameraman almost sitting on top of the camera car on the wrong side of the road going 75 miles an hour. So yes, there is risk to doing this, and it's a wonder one of us haven't been hurt because we, we really get involved in some bizarre situations sometimes. And believe me, I was not hit with any of those knives that the great Sandini thrown, threw at me, which I believe at my count was like something like 28 knives all total. Oh, so, you know, we, we'll take, we take on the risk for you. Now you may want to know, if it, is it easy to film a show like this? Or, or do you have to do a lot of retakes? Or does it come off smooth when you're out there in front of the camera? Yes, it's very smooth. We, we, we never mess up. It's always one take. It's perfect. We're ready to present it to you. No, well, not all the time. Now, I know what you're thinking. Do we have any bloopers? Or the things that just don't go right? No, not unless you mean something like this. Three, two, and action. We're in Florida. I'm Charlie Carlson. And you're not. And you're not. Ready? Are you ready, Charlie? Yes. You know, I'm not doing no more of these knives things. All right, that's it for the knives. Ready? Are you ready, Charlie? Yes. Boom, boom. <laughs> All brand new, coming, coming, uh, coming around the mountain when she comes. How natural is it? <laughs> It's organic. <laughs> More weird follow. Are you okay. ready, Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> More weird Florida. All new. We're on the road again. Coming and this. 
I was doing so good. You know, when we're out there filming, we meet a lot of uh, you folks, you know, and we love our fans because without fans, you, we don't have a show. You know, we got a lot of fans out there, and when we were out there on the shooting schedule, we met so many of you folks out there. You would come up and shake our hands. You, you would bring my book over for me to sign. We would give you some promotional items, you know. And I could tell that you loved us, but we love you too, because without you, we don't have a show. We really love our fans, and we thank you for watching. If you'd like to watch Weird Florida Roads Less Traveled or Weird Florida On the Road Again, go to video.wlrn.org. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. If you want more strange Florida stories, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlo Weird Show. Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson, Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance, and John Labonia, general manager of WLRN, for his support and vision, which made Weird Florida a success. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody.